yeah. Thanks for joining the Money Happy Hour, where we make every hour a happy hour for your money. I'm your host, Tom, the Savings Captain. And of course, I'm joined by my producer, Radish, the hardest working dog in podcasting. Hey, today we have the pleasure of having Joe DeVito of the DeVito podcast from the SoCal in the studio today with Radish and I. Joe, how are things going out there on the other coast, the West Coast? Uh, you know, the uh, weather is fantastic and, you know, healthy. Everything is good. How about yourself? Weather is always beautiful out in the SoCal. It's the same weather every day. Sunshine, right? Absolutely. It's beautiful out here in the east. In the southeast, we're finally getting fall in the air. So time to break out the jeans, the boots, things like that, and kind of get into that fall weather. Well, Joe, it is so great to have you on the podcast today. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience? You're from the SoCal. What do you do? Um, what got you into the into this game we call investing? Um, so I've lived in SoCal my whole entire life. Um, you know, traveled outside quite a bit, but for the most part, um, I've been investing since I was 16 and never really thought I would get this deep in the investment side, but my parents are pretty heavy in investing. And my uh, dad's ideology was, you know, when I was in, I wanna say middle school, actually no high school, um, he would take me to the uh, the bank, you know, JP Morgan, and he would sit me down with uh, one of the money managers and he would basically have, you know, this guy uh, basically break down like quarterly, you know, report of my brokerage account every single quarter. and. You know, at that time, being in high school, I was just really like out of tune. I didn't understand anything, all these, you know, basically uh, Excel files. Um, so I was pretty much looking at the graph. As long as it went up and I was making money, I was like, that's pretty cool, you know. Um, but when I really got into it was, I feel like most people was during COVID. Um, you know, the market, I wouldn't say crashed, but had a pretty hefty sell-off. Um, and I had a pretty sizable amount, you know, on the sidelines that I thought, you know, now is time to invest. So I pretty much just went all in. I didn't even anticipate like, you know, uh, that much of a setback. I just pretty basically invested all of it. So luckily all my powder was dry. Um, that was back in March of 2020 and then fast forward and, you know, current day we're doing pretty well, uh, for the most part. Um, Work-wise, I work in uh, freight brokerage. Uh, basically, to break that down in simple terms, uh, our company doesn't own any trucks. We just basically find trucks or who we call carriers who own like a fleet of trucks or owner operators, people who own maybe one truck. And we basically negotiate with them in a sales aspect like, hey, we want to get you to pick up this product at this shipper and we need you to get it from point A to point B at this specified time frame. This is how much we're paying. Whether it's a dry load, you know, like dry goods to go into Walmart, Costco, uh, or produce. Costco is being, being one of our biggest accounts. Um, and that's basically just what we do. Very interesting. So 16, you started investing. Joe, I, I, I follow what's going on probably too closely and all i see is gloom and doom for gen z i see this is the story i see you're never going to own a home you don't have any money loaded with credit card debt or student loans I and mean, here it is what week after week here comes another 
great guest on the Money Happy Hour who's Gen Z, you're 25, who doesn't fit that description. At 16, you started investing. You, you, you're, you've been investing for nine years now. I know 50-year-olds that haven't been investing that long. That's just, that's just fabulous. So let's step back a little bit. You started investing at 16 year old, 16 years old, and I heard your dad. You say your dad was heavily into investing. Talk a little bit about that influence, maybe even leading up to 16, and when you started investing. What, what, what was going on? Um, so up to like 16, I really knew nothing about the market. You know, I didn't even have that little stocks, uh, what do you call it? Like widget on my phone. Didn't know anything about it. <clears throat> um, didn't even know what the S and P stood for, you know, but now I do. Um, and I remember my dad, when he moved out here from New York, uh, to California, I think he was 32 at the time. <clears throat> uh, that's when he, you know, started working for the city and he started, you know, investing because his father was, you know, my grandfather is very heavy in investments. He's like, you need to invest, you know, create multiple streams of income if you want to be successful. He's like, you don't want to get in that stage of your life where you have to rely on the state or the government or even your job. He's like, if you could lose your job tomorrow, know that you would be set for like the rest of time off of some other, some other stream of income. Um, so he was fairly smart with that. But um, I want to say my dad got started fairly late in life with investing in the 30s in his 30s and my dad said I want to get you started like twice as fast that's why he got he started at 16 which is like obviously like you know half the age of when he first started and uh, he pressed in a very very good tone you know not like really hard off like you need to invest everything just like you want your money to create money for you um, and I didn't really see the benefit of it because there, I didn't really have apps back then to look at my accounts uh, but when I started seeing that money create more money, you know, the dividend reinvestments, the growth, um, then I was like, wow, I'm pretty much sold on this whole idea. And then I realized like, wow, you know, in certain years, like you could literally make more than what most, most people make gross, you know, at their jobs. And it's like, and that's just investing. That's not, you know, real estate or any other type of business. So, um, yeah. So your, your grandfather had a helping hand in getting your dad <laughs> going and then your dad said okay i'm gonna put that on steroids i'm gonna get young joe started at 16. so when you started at 16 joe what do you remember what some of those investments were what type of account was it um so it was a i banked with uh i banked with chase and it was some mutual fund with chase uh nothing you know special nothing like super growthy um but it was slower growth than i anticipated um and at the time you know it was going green or whatnot, but I, I don't remember the ticker symbol off the top of my head. But all I remember is during COVID when the market took us off, and I started doing a lot more research on like what to invest in and looking at patterns. I thought to myself like, okay, I'm comparing my mutual fund with like individual stocks and ETFs and it's not performing as well to, as, well as those uh, ETFs or individual stocks. So, um, you know, I just liquidated my whole mutual fund and then I put it all into ETFs and individual stocks. <clears throat> and uh, the following business days when the money manager guy reached out to me, he called me and he's just like, hey, I saw you liquidate your whole account. Like, is everything okay? Are you in like financial distress? And I was like, nope, everything's fine. I just needed to put my money into something that's, uh, you know, going to make me more money faster. He's like, oh, well, blah, 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 this and that. I 
you know, would recommend this and that. But I realized, you know, they want you to keep their money, your money with them because while they're managing it, you know, they're making a percentage. I said, no, I feel like I can do a lot better. And um, based off of the growth of that mutual fund over the span of five years, uh, I basically made that back in ETS individual individual stocks within like three months. And I was like, this is insane. So it worked out pretty well for me. Did you feel like you were being talked to as a child by the advisor? <laughs> um, it was almost like half and half. Like he was talking to me kind of like guy to guy, but like a child because it was kind of like, it felt like a forewarning. Like, I don't think you understand like what you're kind of jumping into, but he was trying to approach very professionally, which I respect. Uh, but in the end, you know, I think because he saw a lot of people during COVID pull their money and I don't blame them, but um, yeah. I said, no, I just, I just want to jump into this because no one's going to learn better than myself. And I've learned a lot through COVID and trading and whatnot because I've gone through the noise and, you know, some of the, the pump and dumps and whatnot. So those are good times. And by that time, you, you had reached the age of majority, right? So there was no need for him to, he couldn't interact with your dad. He had to interact directly with you. Is that right? Correct. Yep. Awesome. So COVID comes around, Joe is emerging. Was that money earmarked for anything? Was that just a, a plant the seed for future Joe? Was it marked for college or? Um, I guess I was just marked for like, you know, future me. Um, for the most part, uh, it was just a brokerage account off to the side that I would invest in pretty much like on a yearly basis, like, you know, gifts from maybe Christmas or whatnot. I would just invest and then not even look at it. And then I'd basically look at it every quarter when I used to sit down with the money manager. Um, but yeah, that was basically just for, for Joe. So you started researching stocks and said, you know what, I have this one thing based on my research, I think I can do a little bit better. What were some of those things that you uncovered to say, I think I may have found the secret sauce here. Um, so I think the hype of, you know, the COVID in the market was like, I knew a lot of people from college and I basically compiled, it was like, we had a big group chat and I think there was a lot of people who started group chats, um, of like, Hey, like, you know, stock watches and this and that. So, uh, I basically found like the smartest people I went to school with, like people who are like econ majors and math majors. And I'm just like, let's pick each other's brains, but like, let's try to actually throw out information that's informative and quality, you know, in that quality aspect. And, you know, the law, I realized like maybe after a month or so, it didn't really work out because they didn't really know more than, you know, we didn't know more than each other. Um, we were just throwing ourselves into it because of the optimism of the market selling off. So I basically shut down that group. I was like, yeah, this is, this is not going to work. And plus, you can't blame other people when you uh, get a stock from a friend and you invest in it because you chose to invest in it and then it sells off. Um, so I did my own research and then I realized I think the easiest thing to do is to just find the stocks that have weathered like the dot-com crash because during COVID, um, I want to say, I could be mistaken, somewhere between like three and three and a half thousand companies uh, IPO'd during COVID. And during the dot-com crash, it was somewhere in like that similar, uh, you know, number range. And a lot of those IPOs were overvalued and, you know, overfluffed. So then when they all sold off, as you can, you know, tell in the graphs back in 2000, uh, a lot of them lost the majority of their valuations and went under. And we saw that recently in the last two years or so with a lot of IPOs that didn't do so well. 
And weirdly enough, a lot of those IPOs were in a lot of these like, you know, uh, newer born ETFs. Uh, these ETFs started selling off heavily, but what did not sell off heavily? VOO, SPY, SCHD, SCHG, all those, because they've been around for a while. Um, they don't really hold majority of these newer IPOs. They're more solid stocks, especially stocks that have weathered through the dot-com crash. So if they can weather through that, they have the cash pile, they have the leadership, they have the ingenuity, you know, that and the, um, what do you call it, the um, I'm blanking. Survivability. Yeah, then they'll most likely do well through COVID. You are a student of the market. That is exactly right. That year after COVID, that was a peak in IPOs. And the only other year that came close to it was well, it was either 98 or 2000 right at the peak just around the dot-com, just leading up the dot-com bubble. Uh, two, two notorious warning signs in the market. So you, <laughs> these friends you were... I guess hanging out with talking socks. I know it was hot at that time. It was just captivating. I could imagine being drawn into the market because I remember it was like the first time for me in 19, back in the prehistoric days of 1990. You saw things like AMC and GameStop, just things like that. Were those the types of stocks you were talking about on the individual level or were they more, more mature businesses? Uh, more mature businesses for sure. Uh, like, you know, the blue chip stocks, I wasn't really always keen on like big Dow stocks, but, um, I'm, I've always been drawn into like the tech stocks because those have been the best performing stocks in history. You know, like the, the big techs, like Apple, Nvidia, Amazon, Tesla. Um, uh, so those, those companies have outperformed and, you know, done pretty well for me. Uh, but I've never really gotten drawn into the AMC and GameStop because like I had a feeling what was going to happen. So I basically just kind of watched on the sidelines. So let's see, we got strike one so far for Gen Z. You already got one strike. You're 25 and you've been investing for nine years. So I question if you're really 25. We might need to see some proof of age here. And there. <laughs> Is it the beard? Yeah, well, the beard it could be, uh, you know, it could be a disguise, but we'll let that go. But we'll use another test. So another thing, all Gen Zers have student loan debt. How much student loan debt did you did you accumulate in college? Zero. How did you do it? Um, I'll be honest. I had the good fortunate uh, part of my parents supporting me throughout college, um, and then as well as using investments that just weirdly enough you know grew and did well so um and I, I made a deal with my parents which you know they were a little bit easy on me going through college but if i said if i didn't didn't pass a class like i would reimburse them for that amount and it would just really you know strike a nerve in my mind that you know the fact that you have to liquidate part of your account you know to pay for a class that you didn't pass you know that really hits a nerve like don't let it happen again type of thing my parents are like hey you know classes are hard this and that um, and I think, funny enough, my, my dad was easier on me going through college because he never finished college, but he's done like two to three times better than a lot of people who did go to college. Uh, but he just had that working mentality. You know, he's just extremely hard worker. Um, not to say you shouldn't go to college. And then my mom went to uh, Cal State Long Beach. But um, a lot of topics and classes I took in college for business were things that like he had uh, – 
not the most like pristine knowledge in like economics, macro, econ, finance, um, you know, that type of stuff. So he knew like the level of you know, like the magnitude um, in terms of like what the classes required, you know, on an educational, you know, scale. And the fact that you try to cram this in the span of a couple of months and then you take a final exam, it's not easy. Um, but yeah, I, I finished off college, luckily with uh, zero debt, four years, didn't have to spend an extra semester there. Um, then once I left, it was just hitting the ground running, working, and then just stacking away money. Four years in dumb, no college debt. You get out of college, and then you become a productive member of society. You're, you've been working a job three months straight out of college. What was that like for you? Um, so work out of college was uh, pretty bumpy because um, I graduated in May of 2020, so right in the middle of COVID. Um, I had a lot of, and this is this is the interesting part. So I had a lot of, um, you know, offers out of state and interviews, like in Arizona, Texas, because, um, you know, I, I have like I just feel like I would love to live in states like those. They seem very free. Um, and when COVID happened, all those offers just like vanished because COVID put everything on hold. Uh, so I said, when in doubt, you know, just stick it out, stay in California. And, um, I had an internship prior to when I left college. It was from February, 2020 to June of 2020. So a couple of months. And that was a uh, federally funded organization, um, that my, one of my professors worked at <clears throat> and they provided small businesses with loans. Whereas if they went to a bank, they wouldn't qualify. So they go to this federally funded organization. And during those couple of months when COVID was in full bloom, uh, we saw a volume increase by like 300%. I think it was like 300 businesses and then it increased like over a thousand. I was like, because all these businesses need, you know, funding and, you know, loans. I did that up until uh, June internship ended. Um, and then looking for a job, it was kind of weak on my part because, you know, I'm out of college and you still have like that soft mentality like, oh, you know, COVID extended vacation and since the whole country's on hold um i didn't find a job until that following uh january so i went from basically june to january unemployed and i was just trading stocks in between then and i'll be honest i don't talk about this whole lot but i was trading stock options probably not what you want to do when you first start off not on my Robinhood account but on a different platform and i went through a lot of trial and error a lot of anxiety because when you hold stock you're at the mercy of the the market but when you trade options you're pretty much like doubling down at the the bottom, the mercy of the market. So it's like all in or nothing, basically. Yeah. And probably watching every momentary move in the underlying stock. Is that right? Yep. Like you wake up and you see just straight red, you know, in, the, in like the, you know, double digit percentage or you see green. Like there were days when I was like, whoa, like my portfolio is up like 20 or 30 percent. Other days where it's like, geez, like and I couldn't sleep at night. Uh, a lot of anxiety. I'm like, how do people do this for a living? Well, it was my money. Um, and I haven't played options now for, I want to say like the last almost two years now because I cut it off completely. Just realized it was pretty much more of like a losing battle. And, you know, you could do all this, this statistical analysis you want, but at the end of the day, the market's going to move however it wants to move. And I was, I was very volatile with my trading. Like I was, um, I was basically investing like well into the five figures when it came to options. And I want to say at a certain point, like it was going extremely well. I finished off in the green, which is great. Um, but I did take my losses. But I think the best part was that I learned that options just 
pretty much one was not for me and two was that I finished off in the green and then I turned it off and never touched it since and I have no urge to and I look at my losses once in a while just to remember like it is what it is um, I'm accepting of it and you know I'm not afraid to say like one of my biggest losses was like 25 grand and it's like okay you know it's it's easy to you know look at that kind of loss when you don't have like debt uh, but one of my biggest wins was like, you know, something like 50 something thousand. Uh, but then I realized like, you know, you can make that much, you can lose 25 grand. Is that sustainable? Is it consistent? You know, would Tom look at me and go, Joe, get it together, you know, type of thing. You can't be doing that. I'd be like, yeah, probably. So I haven't traded options since then. And since investing, it's been zero anxiety for me. Like my tolerance level is like the highest thing it'd be after trading options. So seeing sell-offs doesn't bother me. What a level-headed way of looking at it and a way of recognizing, hey, I got my degree in stock investing and it didn't really cost me anything. I got out of here with my money and all my teeth. Let me quit while I'm ahead. So, folks, obviously we're having a conversation with another very successful, well-grounded member, we think, member of Gen Z. I'm starting to get skeptical because already we've learned that Joe has been investing for nine years. He's went to college, has no debt. So I question if he truly is 25. But I have been following Joe on Twitter since, well, since I started on Twitter back in March, roughly around then. And I will say, um, if you're not following Joe DeVito, and if his information will be in the show notes and everything, you've got to follow him. If you're a fellow member of Gen Z, this guy's got it together, has some of the most insightful posts that I think more people need to see. If you're older than Joe, I mean, he's just, to me, it speaks of uh, just the hope I have for the whole generation of Gen Z and, and what they got in them. So, Joe, we've got two strikes so far. I'm keeping score, okay? I'm keeping count, all right? Got two strikes. Nope. You're investing, no college debt. So this is it. Counts 0-2 right now. This is the one. Are you going to strike out? Are you really Gen Z? How much credit card debt? How much consumer debt do you have? Zero. Car, <clears throat> how much of a car loan do you have? Um, I. This may sound weird, but I, I bought my car in cash when I was in high school. I drive a Honda Accord 2013. No, yeah, 2013. I bought it when I was, I think... I think when I was 18, I forget, something like that. But yeah, I bought it in cash and even my, my parents say, you don't, you don't want a car that you, know, you have to finance or lease or have a car payment on. He's like, he's like, we're going to buy it in cash. So um, uh, my parents helped me out on it as well. So we kind of like went in, you know, joint operation and we bought it in cash, drove it off the lot that day, no payment. And I've been driving it since, oh, I want to say 2016. So good while now. 83,000 miles, doing great. Joe, I got my reputation here on the line. I've been billing you as another successful Gen Z investor. You're 25. Can you really be Gen Z? You, you, you've got no, you've been investing for nine years, no college debt, no consumer debt, no car loan. I'm going to need to see two forms of ID to prove your age. <laughs> fantastic. fantastic. Take a cheer. What a head start. I just put a post out the other day where I think my prediction is, and I ask people to bookmark it, come back in 30 years. 
I think Gen Z, based on the environment that you're kind of growing up in, some of it is eerily similar to what I saw in the Great Depression era, the era my parents grew up in, and they turned out to be probably the most responsible generation in handling money. I think we're going to see the same thing unfold. I may not be around in 30 years, but I think I, in 30 years you'll be my age. Say, pull that up and on your podcast cover that and say there was once a guy, Tom the Savings Captain, that made this bold prediction. So, Joe, or let me ask you this. This is a hot thing going around. I think TikTok, 401ks are a scam. What do you think about that? Um, I'm guilty for having a TikTok when I – during COVID. I probably had it for about two weeks and then I deleted it. It just – I couldn't. Too much scrolling. It's – and honestly, the marketing of TikTok is genius because humans, you know, our psychological attention span um, is something like 10 to 15 seconds. So you're just swiping videos and I couldn't do it, but I don't have that. I do think there is um, decent knowledge on TikTok if you find the right people, yeah. um, but there can be a lot of scams out there. People are trying to promote, you know, products or financial information. <clears throat> um, 401ks, I see this all the time on Twitter and I'm not against it. Um, if anything, when I first started my job, I just hit the two year mark, um, my company. So that's pretty cool. Um, after three months, you can start investing in 401k, and this might really shock you, but um, my company matches 40% on the dollar, uh, up to 15% of like your contribution. Right. So I know that the um, 401k limit now is like $22,500 a year. Yeah. So you know, for every paycheck, let's just say I'm investing the max 15%, like you're allowed to, out of that 15%, they match 40 cents on the dollar. Uh, so it's just... You know, because I know a lot of people, well, I think they only get like something up to 6% match for like the first, you know, 8% or something like that. Uh, but I think that's one of the, um, you know, like the golden eggs, as I call it. And I have the good fortune of um, working the f at, on the floor, second floor below all the CEOs and everything, the sons who inherited the company. And uh, they said that's one of the things that our father, before he passed away, uh, why he said, take care of the employees and one that was the match with the 401k, and that creates a lot of retention. So, so doesn't sound like a scam in your estimation, does it? Uh, no, definitely not. And my 401k is just insane. Like, it's I'm I'm amazed by how well it's done. And I only look at it usually twice a year: February on my birthday, and then uh, December. You know, like end of the calendar year. Nice. So, Joe, you. Um I've gotten to listen to your podcast a little bit. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? What What is it? Where can we find you? What do you cover on that? Um, so you can find it anywhere on my channel. I have like uh, one of those link trees. Um, and I basically talk about pretty much anything that just kind of comes to mind, which I am trying to narrow it down to more specific topics. <clears throat> uh, but for the most part, uh, mental like health and well-being just basically like being a better person and I did realize like post-college uh, the way you eat you know the way you conduct yourself you know in, like such an orderly fashion whether it's the diet you have you eat every single day you know working out uh, the people you interact with um, that's very important so I like to talk a lot about you know that type of stuff uh, investing current news and topics um, 
And the last part is hunting, which I got into during COVID. Awesome. That's good. So I'll be sure to put uh, links to your, uh, to all your links in, in the show notes for the audience. Um, what do you have any like five year type plans, goals, anything like that professionally or financially that you want to achieve? Um, man, that's an excellent question. It's funny because my parents asked me that too. It was like, what's your, you know, long-term goal, short-term goal. Um, I would like to become, you know, like a broker at my company. There's a significant pay raise and more opportunity to excel. And it's amazing to me how, you know, I went all throughout college, got a business degree, applied to maybe three or 400 jobs before this one stuck. Um, and I realized a lot of people don't care about college degrees. And I hit one year at this company and then a lot of companies flooded in trying to poach me. I'm like, wow, it's basically the name, you know, that speaks for itself. Um, but I'd like to become a broker because of not just basically because of the pay, there is a big pay raise, uh, more of because it's an opportunity to further represent the company in that fashion. Um, so it shows that, you know, you're willing to move up in the company to take on more responsibility and also nurture the next generation that comes after you. Um, and I'm not doing it, you know, for more authority. I know some people who wanted to become a broker uh, because they feel like they would get more respect. Your respect starts at the bottom. And I'm a lower, technically a lower position uh, than, you know, certain brokers. And yet I'm respected more than some of the brokers in my office because I know where I came from on that, you know, pyramid, that hierarchy. And um, a lot of people know that I have integrity and that when it comes down to it, you know, I don't abandon my uh, my values or my morals for, you know, just some quick buck or, you know, stealing a load, for example. Uh, long-term goal, man, I'm putting me on the spot, but that's a good thing. Um, <clears throat> I would say by 30, hmm, which is in five years, give or take, um, own real estate. Um, and another thing too, that a lot of people would disagree with when it comes to owning real estate is like my parents, you know, they, they got their house, I think back in the nineties, uh, and it was like a fairly expensive house back then. Um, they paid it off in 12 years. Um, and they were told like, no, you have to pay it off in 30 years. You know, cause you get like tax write-offs. Uh, they said, no, we're going to pay it off fast. So we, they paid it off in 12 years, you know, 20-year mortgage. And that's inspiring to me because it goes against that societal norm that you have to wait 30. And now they have 40 and 50-year mortgages, which is insane to me. So my goal is to basically put down at least like 60 to 80% on a home. And I know I can do that in like the next few years. Uh, it's just a matter of like where to buy real estate. Probably not going to be in California. It's just too expensive here. All the houses in my area, they're all seven figures, like – and a lot of them are barely like 2,000 square foot, two, two and a half thousand. So that's not probable. And I wouldn't want to financially strap myself for 30 years to pay off something where I'm constantly, you know, trying to get myself out of that hole. So real estate, becoming a freight broker. Um, and I'm not really too concerned on my net worth because, you know, net worth can be obtained through hard work contributions inheritances um you know i like i look at people who get inheritances and they uh you know it's respectable but um i like to work for my money so um i'm just gonna shoot for a seven figure yeah seven figure net worth by 30 i think that's a very conservative goal uh, and i would say that's my 
three goals long term. And that's impressive. Sorry to put you on the spot. I'll confess. Yes. I'll, I'll I'll look back when I was twenty five. Let's put it this way: believe it or not, twenty five or thirty, I was still playing Nintendo. I was married. And, uh, you know, those were some of my goals. Nintendo, Madden football had come out, NCAA college football. That was my gig. So, you know, people see me now as, oh, you, you're Tom the Savings Captain in financial services forever. You did everything perfect. And you follow my content. You've listened to some of the episodes on here. No, I've made all the mistakes, but I love the way you say it. Do it for the right reason. Work hard. Stay with it. You're going to accumulate wealth. Avoid the, I love how you say it, the societal norms. Things will shake out your way. Who wants to be normal? Well, Joe, before we go, Radish had a question for you. Uh, she wanted to know, like, what do you like to do when you're not moving, moving loads of freight around the country? We're analyzing stocks. What do you like to do for fun? Um, I love to read. Um Funny enough, because I never really read during my childhood or all throughout school. I just skipped by and did barely anything just to pass. Um, like my my grandma used to ch- – my aunt used to chase me around the house when I was little to read. And now I can read a book a week like nothing. It's just very easy to me. So uh, my, my, my guilty, I would say, pleasure would be reading. I read about two to three hours a day. It's – I get I get to work at six o'clock in the morning. I clock in at seven, but for a whole hour I read and then I look at stock news, um, and I feel like that's just setting precedence, um, you know, to be a better employee and show even like supervisors and everyone that never late, never been late to work, um, and the fact that this is what I like to do. And people thought it was weird, but management loved that, um, so they don't really bother me about that. So aside from reading. Um, <clears throat> I'm trying to learn a new language because in the last year and a half, I spent a lot of time and, you know, a lot of time and opportunity to like hang out and do fun stuff. So I didn't do much of that. I just been like investing and putting my nose to, you know, nose to the ground and just investing. Uh, so I have been trying to learn uh, German and Italian and it's, uh, it's very tough because, you know, learning a new language you know when you're 25 if you're if i was younger it'd probably come a lot easier so i'm doing that on the side as well um and then i'd like to travel more oh sorry you asked what am i doing right now sorry um languages reading and then oh i love gardening which is might seem weird to some people but um i started composting a lot building birdhouses in my backyard love it when birds you know take up that free real estate i'm yeah. kind of um betrayed when they don't make a nest nick i'm like that's free real estate you know that's quality <laughs> wood you know <laughs> it's a tough real estate market i guess <laughs> for the birds <laughs> free home <laughs> well uh joe thank you so much for your time today it has been great just another great gen z success story don't read, don't believe the negative news, because again, here's Joe, another person not falling trap or playing the victim mindset. So listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review, comment, and subscribe to the Money Happy Hour. 